Good morning, my name is Jason Beaver. I'm our student pastor here at MCC. In just a few moments, Mike's gonna be coming out, our lead pastor, and continuing our series, More Than a Hashtag. And today he's gonna to be talking about this idea of loving mercy and what that means for us in our everyday life. Uh, one thing you'll hear a lot around here is that we're better together. We love getting people together, getting in community, and sitting around tables and having conversations. Starting this week is Midweek Connect. We're gonna be going through 1 Peter for seven weeks uh, looking at that book and seeing how we can decipher it, uh, dig into it, see what scripture has to say that was relevant back then, but is also relevant to us today. So it's an opportunity for you to come together, sit around a group of, a table with a group of people, and to have that conversation. The cost is $10 and there's childcare if needed. Uh, our students are getting ready to go on a trip in February, February 21st and 22nd to CIY Believe down at NKU's campus. And it's just a weekend where we get away to build relationships, uh, to dive deeper into what God has for us on the message and the theme of that year. And this year is Connect, and it's all about prayer. And we're excited about that opportunity that's coming up. The early registration is today. And so it's a $25 deposit. That's all that's needed to hold the spot um, for us to be able to go on that trip. And so if you have a seventh or eighth grader that is interested and would love to go, uh, we'd love to make that happen. All the opportunities we have to be able to connect, to get into a small group, to see uh, what else is offered or events that are coming up can be found on the Church Center app. You can go there by going to miamisburg.churchcenter.com. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. If you have any questions, someone will be out in the lobby in the info corner after service. Hey, listen, if you've got a student, I hope they can go on that trip because I'll tell you, some of my best memories uh, growing up uh, included were wrapped around those kind of trips, and a little bit of it was what we learned on the trip. The other part of it was just being with everybody else. Uh, hey, if this is your first time uh, with us, thanks for being here. To, maybe the first time this year. Really appreciate you being here with us. Uh, and for the last few weeks, we've been talking about, uh, we've been in a series called More Than a Hashtag. And if you're watching this online, thank you for joining us there as well. Our hope is that if you live nearby and your schedule allows that you'll join us here soon. But what we're talking about, uh, regardless of whether you're there or here, uh, what God is saying to us, what we're talking about is what we can live out in our lives right now, wherever we live. So here's why we're starting 2020 with, where we, uh, with what we are. Our executive leadership team determined after asking God, there are two questions we asked of God. What do you want for us? In other words, what do you want to accomplish inside of our lives? What kind of people do you want us to become? And what do you want from us? In other words, what do you want to accomplish through us as your people? What kind of difference do you want to make in the world because of us uh, in, in, in our lives, specifically this year? And so uh, we determined that what God wanted to do inside of our lives to continue to help us uh, is to help us grow, continue to grow as followers of Jesus. And so if you were here the first week, Maybe you remembered that I said that we're going to help you uh, do four things. We will encourage you. We will equip you to read the scripture, to pray, spend time in prayer every day with his word and with prayer, and uh, to live generously. And we'll unpack that as the year goes on. But actually today we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like in real life. And then bringing someone, because our faith has never been, never one day has it ever been just about us. It's always been about 
us and someone else. So what God wants to accomplish through us, and this is on your notes as well, by the way, if you have the handout or if you're on the Bible app, he wants to increase his presence and the awareness of the kingdom's presence through us, through his people in this community. And to do that, we are going to strengthen our ministry partnerships right here at home. You'll hear a little bit more about that later this morning as well. So more than a hashtag was born. And point of clarity, right? Uh, right up front on social media, this symbol immediately followed by a word or a phrase uh, is used to identify a message or a specific topic. So the hashtag groups content together. When you click on that or you tap on a hashtag, any message, uh, it, it shows you the other images and messages that include that hashtag. And if any of that is new information for you, that means you're old. Okay, so, uh, but even though this series is called More Than a Hashtag, right out of the shoot, if you were here the first week, and I'm going to make sure, I'm going to remind you today, uh, because I, and so I included it this morning. It's on your notes. Fill in the blank if you want to. My hashtags matter. I want to make sure we get that. My hashtags matter because my words matter. And we need to be mindful of what we say, and whether it's verbally or we're typing it out. Because in Proverbs, the Scripture reminds us that, and we listen, we know this. Right? We know this is true from our own life experience. The tongue has the power of life and death. And you've experienced both as someone has spoken to you. So we want to be wise with our words because our words do have an impact on what, how people see Jesus and his kingdom because we identify as followers of Jesus. And so our words, whether we speak them or we type them, they have splashback on the kingdom of God. So to be clear, as followers of Jesus, can we only post Bible verses? No, of course not. We can post videos like the one I'm about to show you, and spoiler alert, if you have not seen the new Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker, this video could contain material that gives key plot points away. Check out the screen. So this is what I think Facebook is for, quite frankly, uh, and social media in general. And, and I guess it didn't give away any plot points necessarily, but it does prove, I believe definitively, that cats are from the dark side, which should be in the Bible somewhere. Uh, but listen, we've also, we've talked about with social media, sometimes we post a comment, which is great. It brings, it highlights something, it brings attention to it, Right? But there are times when we think that's all we need to do. We've already done our part. And, and, and what we're talking about is that God is calling his children, more than a hashtag, is all about God is calling his children to do more than talk a good faith, right? He calls us to love others with our actions. So my words are important, first thing we wrote down, but they're not enough, right? Not a new message. We're looking at what God said to his people through the Old Testament prophet Micah, and the message he gave to his people in that day still applies to us in this day. So on your notes, you'll notice this, just to get a bearing on it, the when Micah is writing about 700 years before Jesus is born. So you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about time-wise, 700 years before Jesus is born. And he's talking to the Israelites because Israel had been sinning against God and would not stop. 
They had been warned over and over and over again by prophets coming and speaking to them. Isaiah lived at about the same time Micah did, and so their ministries overlap. They're both warning Israel, and if they do not stop, there is punishment coming from God in the form of invasions by the country of Assyria and then later by Babylon, both of which happen. Micah tells the Israelites that because of their behavior and their unwillingness to stop, that he was withdrawing his protection from the people. And the people respond, but not the way you would like to think. In Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, with what shall we come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What they're asking is kind of what, what sort of elaborate sacrifice should I bring to God to get him off my back, right? You ever, you ever wondered that? What is it going to take to get God off my back on this thing? And then Micah says something very countercultural in verse 8. And if you know any verses from the book of Micah, and you may find these recognizable, these are probably, these are the verses you would know. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal. And by the way, this is what we've been zeroing in on. He has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Micah told God's people that instead of showy sacrifices, God would rather have a faith that lived itself out in, in, in justice and mercy and humility. God isn't looking for a faith that merely comes to church and does the right rituals. He's looking for a faith that makes its way outside of the four walls of the building and makes a difference in the world because, and this is important, please get this, God is calling his people to do something, not just sit in a room, but to go and do something. Last week, Adam talked about what that looks like when we talk about acting justly. What does that mean in our lives to act justly? And if you miss that, I hope you'll go back and catch it on the website. He did a great job of unpacking that and asking, helping us ask the right questions and then answer those with our lives. But today, we're going to look at something else. How do we, in a very practical way, love mercy? Mercy comes from a Hebrew word, as you might guess from the Old Testament, chesed. Say that with me. Chesed, right? You're going to need to work up a little phlegm for that. The person in front of you may not appreciate it as much as, you know, but that's all right. So, let's one more time. Chesed. It's the defining characteristic. You can impress people tomorrow. They'll say, what did you do yesterday? I went to church and I learned a Hebrew word. And then you'll spit all over them when you say it. It's incredible. It is this defining characteristic of God. Chesed is, is difficult to translate because it, it stands for a cluster of ideas, love and mercy and grace and kindness and steadfastness and most often loving kindness. The word is used of the loving kindness or the mercy that God extends, shows to, longs to give to his creation. It's a love that responds to human need in an unexpected and unmerited way. Maybe you remember in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the crowds and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Here's what I want you to catch. I point that out because Jesus spoke in Aramaic. The New Testament's written in Greek, but he spoke in Aramaic. Aramaic words find their root in Hebrew words. And the Hebrew word for mercy 
is used almost 200 times to describe the nature of God. One scholar said it's kind of an untranslatable word. Mercy doesn't mean simply to sympathize with a person in the popular sense of the term. It doesn't mean simply to feel sorry for them, the person who's in trouble. This word mercy, and this is on your notes, he says mercy is the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with their eyes and think things with their mind and feel things with their feelings. Mercy denotes a sympathy which is not given from the outside, but it's this deliberate identification with the other person. Our English word sympathy actually comes from two Greek words, uh, one meaning together with and the other meaning to experience or to suffer. So in a very literal sense, our word sympathy means going through what the other person is going through. It means feeling what the other person is feeling or hoping or aching in their lives. One working definition, and this may be uh, part of your next step in your walk with Jesus, by the way, so may, please get this down. God's mercy is a result of my pain in his heart. So God's mercy toward me is a result of my pain in God's heart. And so that begs the question, I mean, is that real? Does God really feel my pain in his heart? Because I would think that's the question Job wanted answered. Does God, does God really understand my pain? I think it's probably what Hannah wanted to know in the Old Testament when she was unable to have children. Does God really understand what it means to be barren? Is it, it's what Tamar wanted to know uh, when promises weren't kept and her future security was at stake. It's what David, King David, wondered when his son died. Does God get this? Don't you suppose that's what Naomi and Ruth and Orpah wondered when their husbands died and left them alone? I think it's what the woman at the well wanted to know, right? When everyone else in town left her alone, does God really understand this? I mean, isn't that really what people outside of the church want to know about this God that we serve? I don't think people have a hard time believing that there is a God who could stretch the canopy of heaven across the sky and who could toss the stars into the sky and who could pour the oceans uh, into place, who could make a ferocious lion and a graceful gazelle and this prickly porcupine and a cuddly bunny. I don't believe people have much trouble of conceiving of a God who could create this whole world with just a thought and then put it into motion. As a matter of fact, my bet is that most people want to believe in a God like that. But what they really want to know is, can a God who is as powerful as that really feel my pain of inadequacy or rejection? or abuse? Does he really know what it's like to feel helpless or defenseless like I do? I mean, isn't that what they want to know? And honestly, isn't that what you want to know? I don't mean in here, right? Not when we display our unwavering faith in God and sing the songs, but in the quietness of your house or in your workplace or at school that will be filled with the very ones who inflict your pain and sorrow. Is that what we want to know? Does God really understand me? Does he really know what it's like to be like me? I think that's part of the significance of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
those words look and perceive and discern and familiar and know it completely. Listen, that's not just because he created you. That's not just because he studies you, watches you, stalks you. Hebrews reminds us that not only is God an exact representation, or not only is Jesus an exact representation of God, but Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 reminds us that he put on flesh and blood so that he knows exactly what we're like. And just two chapters later in chapter 4, it reminds us that, that he sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was tempted exactly the way you have been tempted and yet did not sin. I mean, doesn't the cross teach us this? That at our worst, God understands us and extends his mercy to us. I don't know if you know the story of Ruby Bridges. She was the six-year-old black child who calmly faced an angry, vengeful mob day after day as they integrated the New Orleans public school. Uh, actually, the year that I was born was when this happened. On one occasion, Ruby was surrounded by federal marshals, and she stopped and faced the mob, and then her mouth was opening and closing in their direction uh, for a full minute. And through several subsequent interviews with Ruby, as well as conversations with her mom, and dad and her teachers, Dr. Robert Coles, who was a child psychiatrist and social psychologist, discovered that Ruby had stopped to pray in front of that mob. She hadn't had time to pray for them before she left her house. So she stopped on the steps that day, and Coles said he was dumbfounded. And then he discovered what Ruby said in her prayer and why she prayed it. Her mom and dad and her pastor had taught her the prayer and the prayer went something like this. Please, God, try to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. She told Coles, she said, well, you see, when Jesus had that mob in front of him, that's what, that's what he said. And in hindsight, now that we've overcome the issues of prejudice in our country, 59 years ago, doesn't it seem that that six-year-old girl had an understanding that allowed her to extend mercy to a crowd that was angry with her? And in hindsight, 2,000 years ago, didn't God show an understanding of us at our worst? And he extends his mercy to us because he feels our pain in his heart. And if mercy is when God feels my pain in his heart, you know what he's calling us to, right? If that's what God is doing, he's called, because it might have something to do with your next step in following Jesus. Mercy is when I feel your pain in my heart. If God's mercy is when he feels my pain in his heart, my mercy is when I feel your pain in my heart. And this is the mercy that God is calling us to in Micah 6, 8. This is the mercy that God calls us to in Hosea 6, 6. This is what Jesus calls his followers to in Matthew chapter 5. As a matter of fact, just a few chapters later in Matthew 9, Jesus said on hearing this, uh, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Boy, does that sound familiar. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because I haven't come to call the righteous people. I've come to call those who need mercy, recognize the need for mercy in their lives, because it's the defining characteristic of who God is. And honestly, honestly, it's just sometimes not that easy, right? Like when the person you need to extend mercy to has offended you, my first response is almost always to act just like Shannon Livingston's mom. Her mom had made uh, this wooden family tree as this craft, and, and each member of the family had an apple on it with their name painted on it. And she said, when my sister got divorced, 
I wondered if my mom would remove her ex-husband's apple from the tree, but she didn't. She just painted a worm over his name. Uh, <laughs> because bitterness and revenge are natural, right? And real forgiveness and mercy are difficult. But then she asked this question. Shannon Livingston asked this question. Why do we pretend to follow in the steps of Jesus if we don't treat people the way he treated them? And we need to do that. But I think more to the point of what Micah is talking about, understanding someone else's pain in my heart is something else. So I've asked Sally Royer, who is our school social worker. Sally, you there? Come on up here. Uh, she's going to share a couple stories of the pain that she has experienced from the hearts of the children. So if you would welcome Sally, please. Yeah. <laughs> I've been sitting over there listening to Mike, and I'm like, how do you follow somebody like this, you know? You, know, you don't, he, you become part of this. I know, yeah. I, I feel like I just have to start from the beginning and then go to where I am now. When I came to this community 20 years ago, I had left children's services, I had done that for nine years, I had gotten a chance to stay home and raise my children, and then I was asked you know, to go back to work by my husband, he's like, you have to go back to work. And I was like, okay, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna go to work, raise my kids, be all the things that I wanna be in life? And when I got here, I would just ask, like, because I didn't know exactly what to do, and I would say to God, put me where you want me, tell me what you want me to do. So what I first started to do was just create resources. I got really into that. And you guys have been very great at that. You guys have helped me with Christmas. You've helped me with school supplies. Um, this community has got, gone above and beyond when it can comes I, can to... Can I hold you? You understand what she's talking about, right? When we do Angel Tree... This is where we get our information. When we collect school supplies in July that are handed out in August to families, yeah. right here is our source of information and our ability to funnel back into the community what we have given here. So I just really appreciate you allowing us to be part well, of that. I love doing that. And through doing that is how I've made so many relationships. Because when you reach out and you bring people together and the message is, is I have this stuff for you, but you, you form relationships at the same time. So I got here and I just said, you know, I'm going to do things for children. I'm not going to worry about the adults, but I'm going to build and I'm going to put into place anything I possibly can to make their lives easier or better. Back when I worked for children's services, I really didn't get to know the kids. I only got to know the parents. And what I realized when I got to know those parents is, is that nobody had ever poured into them when they were kids. I had this guy stand in the hall one day and I had just taken away his children and I mean he said to me, you know that no one ever taught me the way? And I was like 23 years old, 24 years old and I thought, what, what is he talking about? Like what does he mean? So when I got here, I thought, well you know what? I'm gonna show kids the way. I'm gonna teach them how to um, have that resiliency that they need to make something of their lives, how to make it through. So I was doing the same kind of mentoring program that Sarah Pelfrey is doing, and I value that you guys are going to work with her, but my problem was is I had so many kids and I couldn't get enough adults. So I said, well, why don't I just do this big group thing where I can have 40 adults. 40 kids. 40 kids, I'm sorry, 40 children, and I'll be with them and maybe some other people will be with them and we can spend an hour and 15 minutes showing them the way, like teaching them to be better people, to learn to have fun, to have confidence, to, you know, 
just have a good time. So every day that we meet, we're kind of a social emotional thing. So we sit and we talk and the kids sit in a big circle and we go over pits and peaks. And pits are something that's negative that's happened to you and peaks are something great. So it's just like the words that come out of their mouths, like one little girl when we first started doing this, she's like, I have a pit and a peak. I go, okay, what is it? She goes, well, my peak is that my mom got out of jail, but my pit is that my dad went to jail. We had one little girl, she raised her hand and she said, I have a pit. She said, today is the, the anniversary of the day when I found my dad's girlfriend dead. She had overdosed and she had, she had a, I was going to have a little sister, but I didn't get to have a little sister because she overdosed and died. And I thought, this little girl just told these children this. So we took off for Christmas break and we came back and almost every kid's peak was, what's your, go ahead, Brady, what do you have to say? He says, my peak is that we have the after school program. My pit is we had to go on Christmas break. You know, it's not every child. There's lots of children in there. We had a lot of the children in the program from the past, and it was an educational-based program, and they loved it because all kids love it. So we let them stick around. So not every child that we have has the kind of home life. But we thought, let's put some other children in so that they can become role models. But we're just teaching these kids how to play board games. How to... One little guy, we, we got in the gym to play kickball. And Xander, he's a thir third grader. I don't know him that well because... When you have 40 of them, you can't get to know them all. That's why I need extra people to help me. And he's on the floor, and I'm like, what is wrong with Xander? The kids are like, so I go over, Xander, what's wrong? He's like, I don't know how to play. It's kickball, right? And I'm like thinking in my head, like, he's never played. He doesn't know how to play kickball. Like, doesn't everybody know how to play kickball? But he didn't. You know, they just, they don't have the ability to play the way that we played. They don't get on their cul-de-sac. Now, I'm not saying that all kids, but the, most of the kids that I deal with, obviously, they don't know how to play. They don't know how to play a board game. They love it when you teach them. I mean, we teach them to play, like, rummy-based games or, you know, how to um, do, like, little skits and act and have fun. I mean, they, they need that. So you're looking. So I'm looking for you're looking warm bodies to come. <laughs> okay, let me clarify that, Okay. She's looking for people who love kids. So just, like here at MCC, you don't get to work in our children's ministry or student ministry unless you love children or students. Just come and love on them. Right, we get to play with them. You get to play with them. For an hour and 15 minutes, you can turn their lives around. I have students that I mentored through this program seven, eight years ago. I mean, I have junior high kids that come, and they're kind of a work of, of um, progress themselves. But I let them come because they want to be there. You know, and then I bring in Sinclair students to work with me because I'm teaching them to, to become social workers like myself, to go out and really build relationships because that's what we have to have to see the change that we all want to see. And so we can be involved in this. You all can be involved right. in one, this. You're asking really for one day a week, one day like a week, for an hour, 15 minutes. Right. We're to at play. One, to play. <laughs> to play. Maybe you'll do an, a craft with them. Maybe you'll get in the gym. Sometimes we let them just do what they want to do all day, like spread out, get the board games out, get the arts and crafts out, go in the gym. That's and we. So to be very clear, look at the top of your notes again. One of the things that our leadership has determined that God has said he wants to accomplish through us is to increase his presence and the awareness of his kingdom's presence in this community through... 
us. Do you know how we get his presence into the lives of these children? We play with them for an hour and 15 minutes. And we get to be a part of that. So I've asked Sally if she would. She's going to be right up front with me after this service today. And if you're interested in at least knowing a little bit more about it. Because I just know I could beat a third grader in kickball. I, I am, I I'm am certain of it. I am the leading scorer in soccer. I just have to say it. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Challenge accepted. So thank you, Sally, for coming thank up and sharing that. Me. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. <clears throat> so the reason I had Sally come up, first of all, when she told me that, I was like, we have kids who don't know how to play? They don't, they don't know how to play? No adult is investing in them. There's no one playing with them. The things that, that some of us had as normal. And so we get to be a part of that. Let me, let me say this. Satan does not care how much you theorize about your faith. You can hashtag Jesus all day long, and he doesn't care. What he cares about, what he wants to stop, what he will oppose in any way he can, is when we live Jesus out in our lives, and we become this instrument of chesed, in the lives of children in our community because they don't know the presence of God in their lives because they have no one who knows him. And we get the chance. We get the chance. Because if Satan can take the mercy out of Christianity, he has killed its effectiveness. By the way, that's why we read of God's anger in the prophet, in the book that, Micah, of Mike, that has Micah's name on it, the people of Israel who were God's chosen people. The world was supposed to look at them and get a reflection of God. And they weren't not only not merciful to other countries, they weren't even merciful to each other. And to be clear, just like they were God's chosen people in that day, we're reminded by Peter that we are God's chosen people today. So how do we love mercy? How is it that we live mercy out in our lives, this chesed that we're called to have? Because this may be your next step in your faith journey. This may be the next step you need to take. Number one, on your notes, because mercy is your pain in my heart, I will admit my own need for mercy. Because it's easier to extend mercy when I realize how much I need it extended to me. Jade Vernon McGee, who has since passed, but he was a pastor who uh, on the radio told of a little boy named Willie who had been struggling with lying. And he came running into his house one day and said, Mom, I just saw a lion run across the front yard. And his mom said, William, you know that that was a dog. You go upstairs, you get on your knees, and you ask God for forgiveness for lying. Later, he comes back down. His mom said, Willie, did you pray for forgiveness? Willie said, yeah, but God said that he, when he first saw it, he thought it was a, a lion too. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to admit when we're wrong. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we need God's mercy. But mercy is the one thing we cannot give unless we have received it. Let me say it another way. It doesn't happen through us until it happens in us. This is why when we talk about we're going to help people learn how to pray and encourage you to pray and equip you to pray, part of that is we're going to help you learn how to confess your sins. Not because God doesn't know what you're doing, but it's to remind us that we need to extend 
what we have already received in our lives. Here's the second, because mercy is your pain in my heart. I will pray for my heart to ache and break for yours. I will specifically ask God to allow my heart to ache for those who have experienced difficulty and to break for those who are difficult because we have both of them in our lives. I want my heart to ache for the difficulty that you're facing and I want my heart to ache for you if you're a difficult person. But it's not just about breaking my heart. It's also about doing something about it. When Sarah was here a couple weeks ago, and if you were here, Sarah Pelfrey was here, talked about uh, working with kids as well. Four people signed up immediately that morning to be trained as mentors for kids. Since then, Sarah e uh, emailed me yesterday and said that four more have signed up to be trained in the, either this week or the next couple of weeks. I just want to say this as well. I asked Sally to come because here's what I know. There are other big kids in this room besides this one, and you love playing. I mean, playing is one of the favorite things you love to do, and you could give 75 minutes a week, one hour and 15 minutes to play with kids so that they can not only have safe adults in their lives who play with them, but the very presence of God, the kingdom of God can move into their lives because you chose, you chose to spend time playing with kids. And so Sally, are you in here still? Okay, yeah, I'm going to ask Sally. She's going to be right up front with me afterwards. She'll be right up here, so if you want to ask her questions or anything like that. Listen, look at how this prophet concludes his writings. These are the very last words of the book of Micah. This is a, uh, uh, and so I want to make sure you get this. Who is a God like you who, par who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of your people? You don't stay angry forever. You delight to show mercy. And then he goes on to say that you will, you, will, uh, you, you, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. And then look at verse 20. You will be faithful as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. I share that with you because each week we have the opportunity to remember the truth of, of what Micah was telling them. That wasn't just true in the Old Testament. That's always been true. Will always be true. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this, but because of his, that is God's, great love for us, God who is rich in what? Mercy. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were the least lovable, the most difficult, hard-hearted, stubborn-minded going a different way than he was. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions because it is by grace that we have been saved. And so every week we stop as an act of worship to hold a piece of bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken. Broken for our sins. And we hold a cup of juice that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was brutally taken from him at the cross. Listen, we, we do that not so we can merely gather and remember what we have received, but we gather and remember what we have received so that it can be extended through us into the lives of others around us. And so we remember today. Let's go to him.
God, thank you so much for who you are. Sometimes it seems unbelievable that you put up with us because we know us. And you would think the one thing we don't need reminded of is the mercy that you have extended to us, but sometimes we take for granted what you give us freely. And so in this moment, we hold these symbols that remind us of an event 2,000 years ago that still, that still changes lives today because, Jesus, you were willing to give your life for ours. You extended chesed to us when we least deserved it. And part of that is just remembering how deep the hole was that we had dug that you pulled us out of and how much we deserved hell, but you want to give us heaven. And God, help us to remember that because there are people who are living in hell here on earth, at least a form of it. And the presence of your kingdom is here. It's, it's here. It's here. And we want we want to extend your kingdom into our community in such a way that your presence is unmistakable. And so we remember now, not just for memory's sake, we remember now because you have made a difference in our lives and have called us to make a difference in the lives of others. And so you use us to do that. God, help us to remember well what you have done so that we can be part of what you still want to do. We pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.